0: Hello, and this is a Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, based here in Jerusalem. I'm very happy today to be joined with Ben Avrahami, who has served in the past as a senior advisor to the mayor of Jerusalem on East Jerusalem Affairs. He's also a research associate at the Jerusalem Institute for Policy Research. And I should add that he remains as an external advisor to the current mayor as well. Um, Ben, thank you very much indeed for joining me.
1: Thank you for hosting me, my pleasure.
0: So, so we'd like to explore various issues today relating to East Jerusalem and kind of tap into your, to your expertise. If we could start off kind of with one of the, the current issues around the, the coronavirus, how would you assess that uh, the East Jerusalem is coping with the virus, both in its original format, kind of over the last couple of months, and also kind of at, at, the, at the moment in these days when we're seeing a reoccurrence or a, a second wave?
1: Yes, I would say that surprisingly, we had a very low number of coronavirus cases in East Jerusalem. We had around 150 cases, which is relatively very, very low in comparison to other parts of the city. You know, in in Jerusalem as a whole, I think we had a few thousands of coronavirus cases. And East Jerusalem, which is more than 37% of the entire population of Jerusalem, only had, as I said, around 150. So, Uh, Thanks, God, we passed um, this test in a very successful way. And and I think it's mainly thanks to the very strong sense of responsibility that uh, communities in East Jerusalem have. People took this issue very, very seriously. And you could have seen the results on the ground. Um, And also, I would say from the Israeli establishment's perspective that Maybe for the first time we could have seen in our eyes a very, very positive and fruitful cooperation between these Jerusalemites and their local leadership and their civil society with the Israeli authorities, with the Israeli municipality, with other Israeli authorities. And this cooperation that began in a very, very early stage uh, gave us a very significant advantage in terms of Coping um, with um, uh, with a, with a, a virus and and really uh, taking this um, um, challenge as, as a serious one. Um, so I'm I'm very positive about uh, what we have had in East Jerusalem. It's true that we currently have what people may define as a second wave or a re uh, eruption of the virus, but Specifically in East Jerusalem, there was only one case in the last two or three weeks. So let's hope it will
0: remain as it is. That's certainly reassuring. Um, now, one of the reasons why we're, we're talking today is that you are the author of a of a recent report um, that looks into uh, civil society issues within, within East Jerusalem. Could you tell us just briefly what were the main findings of your report?
1: Yeah. So actually, it's a very, very um, innovative um, research. There, is, there was never such research before, an attempt to map for the first time the entire ecosystem of civil society movements and organizations in East Jerusalem. And I think the results and the findings were quite, quite surprising. Uh, we, we found more than 200 different organizations, very active, very, very diverse, that um, act in different fields, different aspects of everyday life in East Jerusalem. Either it's sports or community work, education, um, after-school uh, education, a culture, welfare, charity, um, even healthcare associations. So it was really a first attempt done by an Israeli institute, an Israeli research institute to map the entire ecosystem of civil society in East Jerusalem. And what's important to emphasize here is, is that this entire ecosystem uh, is quite independent. For many, many years, they uh, acted as an, as an independent players in, in Jerusalem with a very, very um, few connections to the Israeli authorities or to the Israeli establishment. So it's like having an entire network of organizations and movements that in a, let's say, um, in a parallel reality or in a parallel world, uh, are taking care of many, many domains and aspects of the lives of of the Jerusalemites. And I think what makes this research very important and relevant is the fact that Israel for the first time after so many years is now trying to reach out to those organizations, to those um, players on the ground. That's the main interest here. And that's the main reason why this research um, was done, to give the Israeli authorities, either it's the municipality or Ministry of Jerusalem affairs or other ministries like education and, and others, to give them a map of knowledge, a, a real database about what already exists in East Jerusalem. And the, the, the final um, goal or vision here is to start building bridges between those organizations, between those um, um, frameworks that already exist on the ground and the Israeli authorities, like to bridge between the Israeli authorities and um, the East Jerusalemite civil society. And if you ask me personally, I think we have a historic um, opportunity. Uh, either it's the coronavirus that already um, made this link, this um, uh, engagement, this interaction, positive interaction between uh, both sides, or even deeper trends and deep, deeper Changes that we we are facing uh, in the past years in East Jerusalem that make the Israeli establishment more engaged with what's happening on the ground in East Jerusalem Um, so it's it's really a I would say a a big opportunity for both sides and that's that's the basic philosophy behind this uh, research Thank you.
0: So there are a couple of angles from that I'd like to, to explore further. Um, but if we can start, kind of, what are the steps that the Israeli authorities, whether it be the, uh, the, Jer- the Ministry for Jerusalem Affairs or the Jerusalem uh, Municipality, what's, what steps are they taking now um, to engage with, uh, with, with East Jerusalemans and in terms of kind of uh, investment, you mentioned education, but in, in other areas as well?
1: So basically the first step was taken... Um, Two years ago, in 2018, there was a historic decision made by the Israeli government, the Israeli national government, um, about a five-year plan for East Jerusalem in a budget of more than 2 billion shekels. And we talk about governmental budget, not municipal budget. Like, on top of the ongoing municipal investment in East Jerusalem, the government, as a national statement, decided to allocate more than 2 billion shekels. And it's really going to change the reality in East Jerusalem. It already started to change um, many, many aspects of the reality in East East Jerusalem. I would say that the main vision, the main uh, of this plan, is to encourage more and more integration of East Jerusalemites in the Israeli labor market. We know that when we speak about prosperity for the state of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem, we cannot ignore such a significant part of the, of the city, which is the Jerusalemites. As I said before, they are almost 40% of the entire population of the city. So if you want Jerusalem, the capital of Israel to be prosperous and um, successful, both economically and socially, you have to have the Arab population be an integral part of this trend, of this change. And that's the main philosophy behind this decision. And that's why the main field, domains of investment uh, within this five-year plan are either education or even high education, like how to encourage East Jerusalemites to choose better education and to get eventually to Israeli universities and eventually, eventually to get better jobs in the Israeli labor market. And also um, specific projects and plans related to um, employment, direct employment of East Jerusalemite. Either it is women's employment or um, um, young people as well, like a, a very... I would say, um, fo- a, a, a very significant focus on employment and how we encourage employment of these Muslims.
0: Thank you. That's very, that's very interesting. And how much um, kind of support or, or a kind of acceptance um, has there been of, of engagement by the Israeli authorities um, within the population of East Jerusalem um, and kind of the, the, the conflicting identity with a, with a Palestinian identity as opposed to kind of recognition of the, uh, of the Israeli state's authority?
1: Yes, yeah, so you know what? Normalization uh, used to be a word that is a taboo. No one used the word normalization when it comes to East Jerusalem. But I think that in the past two, three, maybe even five years, we, we cannot ignore the fact that there is, uh, uh, practically there is normalization on the ground in East Jerusalem. Um, you can see it in, in different fields, in different aspects. One is the fact that today more and more East Jerusalemites are applying for Israeli citizenship. As you may know, by definition, East Jerusalemites are residents of the state of Israel. They have a blue ID, an Israeli ID, but their status, the legal status in Israel is of permanent residents and not full citizens. But they do have the right to apply for Israeli citizenship. And you can see, like the statistics uh, speak uh, for, uh, for, itse- for itself, that uh, in the past years you had um, thousands of these Jerusalemites applying for Israeli citizenship. I think it said something about the way they see the state of Israel and the way they see their future um, in Israel. So either it's the citizenship, either the, the fact that you have more and more students from Jerusalem um, um, learning according to the Israeli curriculum and um, having Bagrut exams rather than Palestinian curriculum final exams, um, the rate of East Jerusalemites within Israeli campus, campuses, especially in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. So you really see in your eyes what we may call normalization, even though you know, it's a, maybe it's quite a delicate um, term to use, but practically, pragmatically, at the end of the day, that's what is happening um, on the ground.
0: Hmm. I mean, related to that, I mean, the, the, the big topic that is on our agenda, aside from this at the moment, is the issue of Israel's annexation or extension of sovereignty. Of course, yeah. Israel, is, Israel made that move over East Jerusalem almost immediately following the 1967 Six-Day Six War. I wonder, well, with, kind of, uh, with, with, with your experience, what lessons uh, we, Israel can learn? From from that experience of uh, of taking over East East Jerusalem and and what would be relevant uh, kind of ahead of the moves that are that are ahead of us in on July the first.
1: Look, I think that after fifty three years, what we see in East Jerusalem or in Jerusalem as a whole is a sort of a binational reality. I mean, one has to be has to be honest and and you know put things in the right context. At the end of the day, what was created in Jerusalem is a binational reality in which Jews and Arabs, Israelis and Palestinians, live together, work together, uh, and now even go to the same schools or the same universities. And I think that deep in their hearts, you know, you, you asked me before about national um, ambitions or um, national dreams of Palestinians in East Jerusalem. I think that at the end of the day, what most of them understand is that the basic paradigm has changed. their future is in Israel, and they will become eventually more and more Israeli. They don't of course they don't change their religion or their basic identity as Palestinians. but at the end of the day, they become more and more Israeli, I would say relatively like Arab Israelis living in Haifa, Nazareth, or other places in Israel. So in reference to what I just said, I think that any step towards um, annexation or um, implication of the Israeli law in the West Bank will eventually lead, I assume, to the same result. I mean, we will see eventually a sort of a binational reality also in the west bank where palestinians will see themselves more israeli in 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 many ways Um, i think the 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 the, the trends or the um, um the dynamics that we currently see in east jerusalem can be perceived as a prefiguration of what we may see in the west bank in 20 or 30 years uh from now and i say i say it from a very objective perspective i, mean, I don't judge if it's good or bad it's mm-hmm. a political question that every israeli should ask himself uh, or herself uh, whether we want to have such a binational um reality in israel but just looking at the at the facts looking at the trends and how things have developed in East jerusalem throughout the years I can assume that we will see similar trends in the West Bank uh, in the years to come. You know, I have full respect to the, let's say, to Palestinian nationalism or to um, the national um, narrative um, of Palestinians. But I I speak with, really, with with hundreds of Palestinians every day. That's, That's what I... Basically, do and I think that most of them—that's what I hear from them—got to a conclusion that maybe it's about time to put their uh, political aspirations or national aspirations aside and just um, adapt to the reality, which is living in Israel. That's that's what I hear. What I hear from from many many Palestinians. So everyone can take it. And interpret it or analyze it uh, in, in the way um, you want politically, either to right-wing um, um, conclusions or to left-wing conclusions. But that's that's what I see. That's what I hear from Palestinians. And I mean,
0: as a result of any unilateral move that may that may take over in parts of the West Bank. Um, how concerned are you about uh, an uptick in, in violence in, in East Jerusalem as well?
1: Actually, I'm not concerned at all. Uh, what I see is a sort of indifference. I don't, I don't think East Jerusalem see this as their own struggle or their own battle. They leave it to their uh, brothers uh, in, uh, in, in the West Bank. They... I what I hear is that they have their own concerns as is Jerusalemites. And they, they've already been annexed to Israel fifty something years ago. So it's not really their uh fight. And I think we will pass it very quietly uh here in Jerusalem. Um maybe I will be proved wrong, but you know, that's my uh um, evaluation or uh, estimation as someone who works closely with um, with East Jerusalem. I
0: mean, and and similarly, I mean, as part of the uh, part of the, the Trump plan, it talks about um, um, Jewish Israeli sovereignty remaining over the whole city. Is that, uh, is, is, that is that a kind of a, a cause for concern amongst the uh, the Palestinian population that you've engaged with?
1: Look, that's that, uh, the situation uh, on the ground uh, for many years. the fact that it's like in the status quo uh, that we we, um, live with, uh, we live with in New Jerusalem. And, and I think um, people have already accepted it. Um, if you ask me, let's say uh, um, 20 years ago, or 15 years ago um, when we had um, a bloody intifada in Jerusalem, I would say that, yes, I mean, there is still a, uh, a historic um, clash between uh, two national movements, between two national different uh, aspirations and narratives in, in Jerusalem. I, I, I refer to the specific context of Jerusalem. But I think that today, we have already passed uh, a very profound and deep change of the of the paradigm uh, and the way East Jerusalem might see uh, their their lives in the city. And if the situation de facto is that Israel controls the entire um, um, Arab neighborhoods of the city, I think they say, "May it be as it is, as long as we get." Better services, as long as we get better education, uh, healthcare services, um, and we can um, grow a, a generation uh, with um, with hope, with a horizon to get better jobs and better income. So let's just you know accept this reality and, and try to live with it. Um, just another question, kind of slightly off on a, on
0: a, on a tangent. Um, there are reports in the Israeli media about growing influence from other um, Arab or Muslim countries in East Jerusalem, significantly investments by the, uh, by the Turkish government, uh, yeah. but also, also in, the, in theory, the Saudi Arabians and all this in the context of kind of, of the, the Jordanians wanting to keep their historic role and connection. What do you make about these, uh, the, these reports and, uh, and this outside influence? How, how significant is it?
1: Um, it is quite significant, to be honest. Um, I think we are facing a very big geopolitical um, campaign, uh, uh, regional campaign in the Middle East between you know, different vectors, Uh, And since Jerusalem is so central and so important for so many different actors in the region, uh, part of this clash, this battle, is also translated into the, uh, the situation in Jerusalem. And I would say that what Erdogan is currently trying to do as, let's say, as the ultimate representative of the Muslim Brotherhood movement in the world, is trying to challenge um, the Hashemite Kingdom and the Hashemite Kingdom's position in Jerusalem, and specifically um, in the holy places. And as I said, it's it's much wider than Jerusalem. It's like a a regional, uh, actonic, battle and and, uh, Changes that we see in our eyes between very very big forces Um, At the end of the day, I think that East Jerusalemites are more clever than What you may see in the news and what basically I refer here is to the fact that they manage to, to shape and, and, and frame a very unique uh, local patriotism of East Jerusalemites. So they say to themselves, okay, if we get some support from Turkey, as long as it serves our interests, our very local interests as East Jerusalemites, why not? Or if we get some funding or um or donations from Saudi Arabia, so why not? I think they are quite indifferent to the uh, to all those regional big questions. Um, and as long as they can uh, enjoy uh, and benefit from from support and donations, they won't say no.
0: I mean, And on a similar level, how do you rate the, the support or the, um, uh, I suppose, uh, s- support and in- encouragement of the, of the Palestinian Authority, also within East Jerusalem, and if there's a distinction between those neighborhoods that are beyond the security barrier, if that makes a difference?
1: Look, I think that currently the support and the um, assistance provided by the Palestinian Authority to residents of East Jerusalem, to the neighborhoods of East Jerusalem is relatively low. Um, The Palestinian Authority has its own economic issues, they have their own problems, and they are not capable of supporting and bringing money in the same scope as bigger countries, Turkey, Saudi Arabia and and others. Um, So you don't really see a significant uh, support coming from the Palestinian Authority. But you, you did mention a very a very unique situation which is those neighborhoods that placed behind the, uh, the, the barrier, uh, the security fence. We have two concentrations of neighborhoods, one in the east which is Shuafat refugee camp and its surroundings and also in the north, Kufr-Aqab and its surroundings. So we have like two um, enclaves um, of East Jerusalemites who live behind the security fence, but inside the municipal borders of the city. And they really face a very, very difficult reality because there is no real presence either of Israeli authorities or... Of Palestinian uh, forces, so it's like a no no man's land. So it's true that if you may see some Palestinian, um, let's say, uh, overt uh, um, presence, you will see it there in those in those neighborhoods. But mm. still, it's not enough to take care. Of the real need of the residents living there, uh, that's a very big challenge that the I would say um, mainly the, the Israeli authorities and the Israeli government uh, have to deal with, and um, I, I think um, we are now um, more than 15 years after the uh, barrier was built, and since then. There was no real change in the way Israeli authorities deal with this challenge. Um, And I guess that sooner or later the government of Israel will have to decide um, how we really take um, care of those um, residents. We talk about around 100,000 residents. It's not a small amount. It's a very, very big um, concentration of, um, of population um, over there. And one,
0: just one final question, um, just looking ahead, how optimistic Please. are you for the future cooperation and, as you described, kind of normalization? Um, how yeah. do you see it uh, developing?
1: No, I, I think that uh, the, the trends I just referred to—they we, we were going to um, to see uh, sort of uh, continuity. I think this is going to continue in the years to come. Um, I believe that the uh, the inertia that we we, we already have um, will eventually lead. To more and more, what we call normalization and cooperation. Um, you can say I'm optimistic. I don't, I, you know, maybe optimism is not the right word. It's just I try to be uh, as as objective as I can without giving uh, notes or uh, without judging it. I think as as a trend, as a, um, as a process, that this is something that is going to continue and to last. Um, in the years uh, to come. And of course, there is there is always uh, a possibility of something unexpected that can happen in the um, security level uh, either a terror attack um, Temple Mount or in other religious for any kind of unexpected terror um, event that, of course, can change the entire course of of what uh, I uh, already described. But let's say if I I look at the broad picture, I think that we're going to see more and more normalization in the years to come. There are already people who use the word Israelization even. Uh, which is very interesting to to uh, to discuss. Um, either whether we see a real uh, Israelization of um, the rest of the Jerusalem, um, we will we will see it in the years to come.
0: Very interesting. Well, yes, we will certainly continue to monitor it in the uh, in the days and weeks to come, and into the longer future as well. Um, ben, we'll leave it there, but thank you very much indeed for for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.